0: Thanks to Airbnb for sponsoring this week's Motley Fool Money. Whether you're looking for some side cash or a steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Go to Airbnb.com slash fool to start hosting and learn about a $100 Amazon gift card offer for our dozens of listeners. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best in life are free, but you can give them to the buzz and be the From Fool Global Headquarters, this is
0: Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, senior Analyst Jason Moser and Andy Cross. Thanks for being here, guys. Hey, Thank Chris. You. We're coming to you from Austin, Texas. We're here for an investing conference. We are not in the studio. We're on the outskirts of a bar here at the hotel, and we actually have a live audience in front of us. Checking out the dozens of listeners joining us. We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. We've got a very special interview with the late, great Herb Kelleher that we're gonna bring to you. And as always, we'll give an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But since the theme of this Conference is global investing. Let's start with a couple of international brands. Fourth quarter results from Mercado Libre sent the stock up 20 percent. A dominant e-commerce player in Latin America, Mercado
1: Libre shares hitting a new all-time high this week, Jason. Yeah, I mean this was really a strong core by virtually every metric. I mean, they they basically at this point own the Latin America, e- e- e-commerce market. And we've we've talked about this in the lobby here after some of our conversations today. It's it's hard to figure how Amazon could come in here. Here one day and take share uh, for Mercado Libre at this point because not only have they developed this robust e-commerce platform, but really the Mercado Pago uh, part of the business, their payments uh, part of the business, has grown to be something that's just astounding. I mean, we talk about war on cash investments. Mercado Libre certainly is is worth putting at the top of the list. There, uh, I mean, total payment volume through. That platform surpassed $5 billion for the first time ever. So, I mean, this is not just an e-commerce play. This is a payments play. Uh, Again, I don't know how a competitor comes in there and really takes share from them at this point. So when you look at getting some global exposure to e-commerce, to tech, to fintech, all that stuff, Mercado Libre just seems like a no-brainer.
2: Well, and as tough as the Latin American market has had it and the economies down there continue to – to struggle and have a tough go at it, it's nice to see Mercado Libre have some actual momentum behind it now. Yeah, and I mean, really, the other part
1: to this puzzle that I think is going to play out in their favor over many years to come, really, it's the emergence of the middle class in yeah. Latin America in general. I mean, that is a, a middle class that is continuing to grow, more more consumers having more purchasing power. Uh, that will definitely play into Mercado Libre's uh, financials as well. You really think Amazon is unable to disrupt this business? I have a hard time believing they could go in there and take away share at this point. I mean, you, you have a point where businesses get in and establish a position. Uh, and really, I think it's not only the e-commerce platform, but it's that payments part. That's a really sticky aspect of any business. And it's just going to be difficult for any company to get in there and really take share. Uh, you know, I'm kind of disappointed that Amazon didn't go in there and try to acquire them at some point earlier in the game. But if they want to do that now, they're going to have to pay up for it. Booking Holdings is the parent company of Priceline
0: and Booking.com. Shares falling 11% on Thursday after fourth quarter results came in with lowered guidance for 2019. Uh, Help me out here, Andy. Isn't Booking Holdings, aren't they typically pretty conservative with their guidance?
2: Yeah, they are, Chris. I mean, it was actually a pretty good quarter. Revenue was up 16%, maybe a little bit light. Uh, It was up 21% in constant currency when you uh, have put into effect the stronger dollar. Um, earnings per share blew away the estimates at $22.49. That was up 33%. And cash flow, free cash flow was up 12%. Um, so overall, I think it was a pretty good quarter. Travel uh, bookings were up 9%. That was maybe a little bit lighter too. Uh, the, the, the concern that I think investors saw, and you, we saw it in the stock price, but some of the guidance was, was a little bit lower. Um, earnings at $10.90 to $11.20, a little bit below estimates. Um, there's a lot of foreign currency exposure with booking. 80% of its sales are done internationally. Um, the strong dollar not helping. So that's starting to have a little bit of impact. Hotel room nights book estimate uh, for the quarter up 6 to 8% and total gross bookings 5 to 7%. So a little bit of a deceleration. Some of the growth has some investors uh, concerned.
0: Uh, one of the things we've talked about recently on the show is share buybacks, and one thing that caught my eye uh, in this report is, you look at 2018, Booking Holdings spent about $6 billion on share buybacks. That's much more than they've done in years past. Uh, this is a management team that has done a great job of growing the business. Uh, is it safe to assume we trust them with that type of capital allocation? Because I'm a little surprised they went that high.
2: Well, I think so. I mean, uh, the the amount of cash they generate and this consistency in the earnings they have and some of the new initiatives they're making, um, I think warrants it to give them the benefit of the doubt to be able to invest that capital for shareholders. I know Jason and I and you have talked a lot about the uh, concerns about some share buybacks, but for this business um, and considering how they can invest it and where they continue to invest it into their marketing spend and get more efficient with that, I think, Looking at the cash, they can generate warrants to be able to buy back the stock at pretty good prices. Yeah,
1: and we put those share buybacks under a microscope with a lot of companies. I think it was last week we were given Stamps.com a little bit of a hard time because what they were doing was seemed borderline criminal at one point. Uh, I mean, at least with Booking.com, you look at that share count over time, it is coming down, so it'd be one thing if that share count was going up. That was that was something we were holding against stamps.com last last week. Uh, but at least with booking.com, those that share count is coming down. That is the idea with share repurchases. Make those fewer shares more valuable over time.
2: You know, one interesting point they introduced this quarter was that uh, the bookings through their alternative properties so these are things that compete with like the Airbnbs 40 percent of active com customers have booked a property, an alternative property in 2018. So you're booking th- hotels through booking.com, and you actually are also booking an alternative property like a, a home rental through um, booking.com.
0: Etsy's fourth quarter profit and revenue came in higher than expected. Shares up 20% this week. I get it, Jason. Because, I mean, everything was up for Etsy. Users were up. Sellers were up.
1: It's the kind of week that makes you want to say, hey, now. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I mean, we talked a lot about Etsy today in our eight-minute conversations around the tables here with all of our members. It was just some really great conversation there. But when you look at what this business has done. I mean, this was another great quarter. The metrics that matter are all headed in the right direction. Active sellers are up. Buyers are up. The gross merchandise sales grew over 22% to $1.2 billion. And they threw out a pretty interesting statistic there too. There was $19,000 in gross merchandise sales per minute on Cyber Monday. So clearly uh, they're doing something right. And I think a lot of it really is they've established themselves as that brand for that community, that niche in crafts and art and whatnot, I mean, this really is the place to go. Uh, In in this this metric, you know, we talk a lot about with Wayfair, that repeat purchase metric, and, and it looks like Etsy is doing the same thing. They talk about habitual buyers, and those are buyers who spent $200 or more over the course of a year and have made purchases on six or more days in the last 12 months. That's their most important buyer metric. And it's up uh, 21.7% for the quarter. That is just a very profitable part of the business. And again, worth noting, it is profitable. They're bringing in a lot of money. I held Josh Silverman, the CEO uh, CEO of the year for me, on our uh, review show, if you remember, at the end of uh, 2018. And it looks like he's just keeping it going into 2019. Who is the Pepsi to their Coke?
0: Because uh, there are a lot of places to buy stuff online. But in terms of the niche that Etsy has carved
1: out, I can't name who it is. Well, so I think Amazon really tried to go in there and give them a run for their money at one point, and really that didn't gain any traction. But an interesting topic that came up in some of our conversations today, it was about folks who maybe are selling on Etsy and perhaps get a little bit too big for that platform, and they're moving over onto Shopify's platform, another company we love here at The Fool. So I think Shopify is a business out there that can certainly give them a run for their money. They do similar things, but there's definitely there's a brand equity there with Etsy that, that certainly gives them a little bit of a leg up. Square
0: continues to do its part in the war on cash. Square's holiday quarter results look good. Andy, Thursday was one of those weird days that makes me glad I'm not a day trader. I mean, the stock was down uh, pretty big pre-market because of the guidance. And by the end of the day, Square was back up in positive territory. Well,
2: I think also Square is just one of those businesses that continues to deliver. I mean, their gross payment volume was up 23 billion, was up 28%. Adjusted revenue at 464 million, up 64%. That's a slight deceleration from last quarter, but still pretty exceptional for the size of that business. Adjusted EBITDA, the operating profits up almost a double to 81 million and uh, on the earnings per share up 75%. So Jack Dorsey owns 14.5% of the stock. Um, Talking about building out the Square ecosystem, which is not just the payment readers, but their cash app and their Square card, which is partnered with MasterCard. Um, 25% of U.S. households are now underbanked or not banked. So the Square card and these different solutions that Square continues to build is good for shareholders, good for clients. And you're seeing that with the performance that they continue to deliver.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that word, underbanked, because I think that is the most important word when it comes to companies like Square and PayPal. And I think it's easy for folks who have a banking relationship or just used to that. There is a big part of the population out there that is underbanked or unbanked at all, and and Square and PayPal are developing solutions for those uh, folks, and and that is a big market opportunity that's out there.
0: Why do you think we saw what we saw with the stock? Because, I mean, Jack Dorsey is a CEO with a lot of experience. Um, Square is not the new kid on the block anymore, and uh, part of me wonders if there's just, on some level, in at least some parts of Wall Street, a fundamental misunderstanding of what this
1: business is. I think there's a lot to digest with their earnings reports and seeing where they're going into the square capital side of the business and more business lending. Uh, that definitely introduces some uncertainty, some risk that maybe you wouldn't have seen before. Uh, again, it's really difficult yeah. to, to account for the day to day machinations of the market. And to your point, that's why we don't day trade.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and new CFO on board, but their full year EPS or full year uh, sales guidance up 40%. A deceleration from the other growth so maybe the headline number is not looking so good but the more you hear from jack dorsey you continue to believe in the in the square story
0: coming up we are fans of beer and we are fans of breakfast cereal we're just not sure we're fans of the latest culinary innovation in the craft beer industry details coming up stay right here you're listening to motley fool money As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money, coming to you live from Austin, Texas, in front of a live audience. Chris Hill here with Jason Moser and Andy Cross. Teladoc ended the fiscal year not with a bang, but a whimper. Fourth quarter results looked pretty good, but guidance was weaker than Wall Street was hoping for. Teladoc selling off on Thursday, and Jason, I mean, you look at the stock, and the last time Teladoc was at this level, three weeks ago. I
1: mean, I was going to say, it's plummeted to levels not seen since the beginning of the month. Uh, Listen, I mean, if you're a Teladoc investor, and I am, and I hope a lot of you out there are too, I think you should be very happy with the way this business is is progressing. This was a strong quarter, and it was a strong year, by virtually, see what I did there? Virtually virtually every metric actually uh, they exceeded guidance in a lot of cases on sales and visits Um, i think the market reaction initially was to just a smidge light on revenue guidance for 2019. i've told you how i feel about that expectations game chris i really don't care about it and it was really a wild ride this stock took because right after that release came out i mean the stock sold off close to 20 percent in after hours uh finished up down about six six and a half percent for the day i think people kind of came to their senses I mean, listen, this is a business that is doing all the right things. Total revenue grew 59% for the quarter. Uh, organic revenue uh, was up 33%. And we know there have been some acquisitions in there to grow their offering to become more of a, a comprehensive offering, so to speak. They're actually working on a an access to a, a Cross-border solution, so that it will be a United States and Canada healthcare platform, and that's something that really doesn't exist today in the telemedicine uh, uh, sector. And and then we can't forget about the Medicare Advantage 2020 plan. There's going to be 20 million or so additional patients that will open up to telemedicine services via uh, Medicare Advantage. And that's going to grow the potential opportunity for them to bring more members into their model and also even just fee-only customers as well. So we've seen buy-in from the regulatory side. Telemedicine is real. It's happening. And I think that teledoc is one of the companies that's leading the way.
0: I was going to say, if they can open up to other countries,
1: doesn't that, I mean, the upside is nearly limitless. Well, it is a big world out there. and, And access to healthcare is something that people need. And uh, certainly the internet has disrupted virtually everything else in our lives. And and having used teledoc services before, it's a great first step in initiating a doctor's visit. If you don't have to go to the office, it's really nice not to go if you can get everything taken care of with a little video chat on your phone. Our email address is radio at fool.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter.
0: Hit us up with a question. We actually got a question on Twitter about JAB Holdings, um, which is The private company that has just been gobbling up all manner of restaurants and coffee chains over the last few years, including Pete's Coffee, um, asking, hey, if JAB Holdings is considering spinning off the coffee properties into an IPO, and reportedly they are, is that something you'd be interested in? I'd certainly be interested, Andy, in looking at the S1.
2: Yeah, I definitely would be. I mean, this is a very large, I think it's the second largest roaster, coffee roaster uh, in the world, uh, behind Nestle, a retailer at least. They have about 12% of the market, uh, according to The Economist. Um, some very big brands, um, Keurig, Dr. Pepper, which may be part of this. We don't know if Panera would be part of this or not. Um, so it's a, it's a, JAB is a very well-run private equity firm. Um, They've been, as you mentioned, Chris, gobbling up uh, lots of different properties. So we'll be very interested to look at the S1 and think about this is a a company that we want to invest in.
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, I think you look at coffee as good business. and I mean, if you have a company that has a portfolio of coffee offerings, I mean, I can't see why. You know, we wouldn't want to at least dig in a little bit further. Well, and as
0: as we've seen with others, I mean, JAB has got property. They've got the packaged goods and they've got the retail locations.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the whole thing with that Keurig acquisition, I mean, really bringing a lot of great coffee into the home in a simple fashion, I mean, that's, that's something you're going to find a lot of those Keurigs out there installed all over the world. I think it it translates maybe a little bit better than that SodaStream because you don't have to worry about replacing cartridges. Uh, you know, they have plenty of opportunity
2: out there. I will say I'm a very loyal Nespresso user, though, so they're competing <laughs> right against Nespresso. You
1: know, angry Uncle Joe, he says a lot of good things about that Nespresso as well. Now, granted, he's halfway Money. around the world,
0: that's but still. Right. On last week's show, we talked about Boston Beer Company, the parent company of Samuel Adams. They've been crushing it lately, in part because of limited edition and brews the company has been producing. So maybe we can blame Boston Beer for this next story. This weekend, Smart Mouth Beer, a brewery based in Virginia, is unveiling Saturday Morning Marshmallow IPA, a beer that tastes like Lucky Charms breakfast cereal. The company says the beer is, quote, made with pounds of marshmallows, some of which we toasted, along with tropical fruity calypso hops. The result is magically delicious.
1: Not in a hundred years. Too
2: fruity for me, man.
1: Come yeah. on. I mean, listen, let's take one for the team here, right? I mean, this is that boots-on-the-ground market research that we're known for, the selfless act of getting out there for all of our subscribers, our members, and really giving them that firsthand account of how that might be. I mean, listen, it's beer, it's cereal. I mean, you got. what's, what's wrong with putting them together? When we get back to Virginia, you let me know how that goes. Let me tell you something really quick here, and folks here will appreciate this. My wife put together a six-pack for me the other day from the store and included in there one bottle of Shiner S'mores beer. Now, I don't know if anyone out here has ever heard of that, but this was the first time (laughs) I tried it. And I got to say, it was actually pretty good. That toasty sort of marshmallow flavor, I felt like it was around a campfire,
0: Chris. Let's get to the stocks on our radar this week. Uh, Our man, Dan Boyd, is not behind the glass. He's here at the table with us. And he couldn't be more excited because he's got a brand new soundboard complete with sound effects that's right chris i do and i've only i've been told i can only use one so i'm gonna use it judiciously okay uh jason are up first what stock is on your radar this week
1: well i tell you everyone out there today you inspired me to go with the selection here bj's wholesale club ticker is bj they have earnings coming out next wednesday we had a lot of great conversations today about the power of membership models and amazon and costco really uh most of those conversations but you know bj's is a company that went public again here recently and I you know it's an east coast concept mostly but still a relatively small one and i've you know I, i've been to a bj's before back when we lived in georgia i think this could be something we need to take a closer look at dan uh jason do you think the guy with the jackhammer across the street while we were recording was having any fun uh it sounded like he was having a lot of fun thank you jason uh, Andy, real quick, what are you looking at?
2: Austin's own Chewy's reports fourth quarters on March 7th. stock has really been a bad taste in enchilada over the past year, so I'm looking for some growth. Margins under pressure from the cost side with labor costs increasing and comp sales at the 0 to 1%. So looking for some love for Chewy's next week, Dan.
1: I love it. I love it, Andy. All right.
0: Guys, thanks for being here. If there was a Mount Rushmore of business leaders from Texas, Southwest Airlines co-founder Herb Kelleher would be on it for sure. Up next, a conversation between Mr. Kelleher and Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. All right. Before we get to Tom Gardner's interview with Herb Kelleher, quick shout out to Airbnb. Whether you're looking for some side cash or steady income, hosting on Airbnb might just be the best investment you haven't made yet. Worried about your property? Airbnb offers a host guarantee that helps protect your property in the unlikely event that something goes wrong. It's free to list your home, and you're the boss when you host on Airbnb. Host when you want, how you want, list one bedroom, or the entire place. It's all up to you. On this show, we talk about generating income with stocks. How about generating a little extra income with your place? You can use that income to pay bills, save up for retirement. You could use it to fund travel. And that way you make money while you're traveling. That's something that Airbnb hosts often do. For our dozens of listeners, go to airbnb.com/fool to start hosting and you'll receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Again, receive a $100 Amazon gift card if you generate $500 in booking value by May 30th by going to Airbnb. That's A I R B N B com and start hosting. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Earlier this year, Herb Kelleher, the legendary co-founder of Southwest Airlines, died at the age of 87. He defied the odds by creating an airline that produced market-crushing returns for investors. In 2017, Motley Fool co-founder Tom Gardner sat down with Kelleher to talk about his company's unique culture the business of airlines, and a lot more. Tom
3: started by asking Kelleher how it all started. Herb, what happened on March 12th of 1931? It was
4: a, a boon day for the entire globe, uh, Tom, <laughs> if I do say so myself, because a, a highly intelligent, really visionary, and very handsome baby was born <laughs> and named Herb.
3: Who was Harry Kelleher? My father. And what was his work in life?
4: Well, he uh, he he was the uh, plant superintendent for the Campbell Soup Company in Camden, New Jersey, and then he became the general manager of the Campbell Soup Company, and uh, they had only one plant at that time, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was his occupation up until his death.
3: Mm-hmm. And who was Ruth Moore? Uh, my mother. And what can you tell us about
4: Ruth? Well, she she was working at the Campbell Soup Company, which is where oh. she met my father, mm-hmm. and. Uh, after our family was blown apart at the beginning of World War II, Tom, one of my brothers was killed uh, early in 1942, and another one off in the service, and my father died in early 1943, and uh, my other pu- uh, sister uh, became an expediter uh, for RCA, you know, it was involved in war work, and suddenly my mother and I were there alone from six to two within a year and a half or two years, and She was just fabulous Hmm. uh, because she covered everything with me, Uh, ethics, uh, the way you should treat people, uh, business. Hmm. We used to sit up even when I was, you know, 10 and 12 and talk until 3 or 4 in the morning. Hmm. And she was absolutely fantastic in that respect Hmm. because she was not only a nurturing mother, uh, but she also fed
3: my mind. So... um The early stages of the definition of Southwest strategy. I do wonder when you talk about your mother and what she, yeah, what she taught you around the dinner table or into the wee hours of the morning about respecting other people, absolutely, about about, and and even the energy of or or the dynamic of flying shouldn't just be for people who are wealthy. It should be available to everyone. The egalitarian nature. Yeah, she
4: was very egalitarian in that respect. She was a great teacher uh, because uh, she told me that. that I should not uh, uh, necessarily pay obeisance uh, to position or title, Mm. because she said, pay attention to the individual. The individual may have a grand position or title but have feet of clay, you know, Mm. which I think all of us have to agree can Mm. be the case. Mm. And she also uh, encouraged me to read very widely Mm. and unusually adult books, you know, Mm. for someone Mm my age, and she stimulated my curiosity in a whole lot of things uh, that I probably never would have gotten into. And curiosity, I think, is one of the great things uh, that can be very, very helpful uh, to you because you're always looking for something different and how it might fit in, you know, to what you're doing. So I've never adhered to the philosophy that curiosity killed the cat. (laughs) I look at it as curiosity informed the cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: I think I think Charlie. So she M-
4: played a big role in that respect, mm-hmm. and also you know, the political aspects of it. Very helpful having that experience, fighting these battles in the Congress and in the Texas Legislature. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, why do so many airlines go bankrupt, and why has Southwest Airlines never laid off a single employee? I mean, those are they're they're so extremely at polar opposites. I mean, really yes. the industry we know has created very little economic value in aggregate going back to its inception that's and very yet true. Southwest Airlines has created has been well certainly during your time it was the best performing stock on the S&P 500 and since then it's been a wonderful stock as well all the way through no layoffs why I mean for, at, at, for a lay, layperson that's sitting out there saying I, I have no idea why this airline's successful and all the other ones continually yeah. failed went through bankruptcy came back went bankrupt again <laughs> etc. <cetera.
4: laughs> Some of them three times Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, and I think uh, this has something to do with uh, history and learning something about history. Uh, I was well aware that the airline industry was a very difficult industry. Uh, As you pointed out at one point, uh, it had a net loss from its inception, (laughs) uh, which means it's fairly difficult, (laughs) you know, fairly scary. And I said, you know, you hear about regression to the mean, and I'm not quarreling <laughs> with that as a formula, but how long is it going to take to regress? <laughs> you know, is it five years, 25 years, mm-hmm. 38 years? Mm-hmm. And so, what we're going to do is we are always going to be very, very strong from the balance sheet standpoint. Mm-hmm. Number one, we were one time for a long time, we we're the only airline that had an investment grade rating. Mm from the financial community. Uh, we're gonna have lots of liquidity. And my mantra was, we wanna manage in good times so that we do well in bad times. Mm-hmm. And there you get into the no furlough policy. Mm-hmm. Because if you, if you just hire a bunch of people willy-nilly mm-hmm. doing good times, guess what you're doing? Mm-hmm. You're firing them during bad times. Mm-hmm. So we were always well set up to ride through the bad times, and market share was not our focus. Mm. Size in and of itself Mm. is unimportant. Mm -hmm. I would rather have 4% of the market Mm. and be profitable than have 24% of the market and lose money. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to talk about market share Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. It was verboten. Mm -hmm.
3: I don't know if you've read Peter Thiel's book Zero to One or know about Peter Thiel. He I was, do know about him. And uh, yeah, he said basically from a from an investor standpoint, when people pitch companies to him, when they talk about how large their market is and how he he said, I want to know the smallest piece that you're going to dominate because yes. I know off of that exactly you have the opportunity to grow exactly. So the other airlines weren't doing that; they were trying to get as many. They were at war re- with each routes. other.
4: Who had the most airplanes and? get the most routes from the CAB and and that sort of thing. And mm. we just chewed all mm. that. Mm. And uh, we opened a lot of secondary airports, satellite airports. Mm. And people initially said, oh, you'll never make a success out of a satellite airport. Mm. Well, there's hobby, there's love. Mm. Uh, you know, mm. I can run through about five or six more of them. Mm. And of course, they were much more efficient mm. uh, to operate from. No backups.
0: Mm.
4: Uh, they were a lot closer and more convenient mm. for an awful lot of awful lot of people and so we did things unconventionally uh, that way and uh, we tried to keep our work rules very simple uh, to promote the efficiency of the airline and kind of, you know, operated on the philosophy that airplanes don't make money on the ground, Mm. Uh, they only make money in the air. Passengers don't pay you just to sit them, they pay you to fly, so we very high utilization productivity. Mm.
3: What would be a gap in uh, fare between you and the competitor at any point in history? I mean you could name one today or yeah, go back well, twenty five years and say we flew from point A to point B for X and they did it for two yeah. X or whatever oh, the gap we, was. Yeah, so some what of those
4: contrasts some of those contrasts are really amazing. Do you have time for one that's kind of <laughs> please it's, it's kind of like a burlesque? <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of time. We went into uh BWI, right? And uh, U.S. Air was the leading carrier there. And the round trip fare to Cleveland from BWI was like, I don't know, $340 or something like that. And we reduced it to $56. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a considerable (laughs) drop. And then U.S. Air found out we had a Friends Fly Free program. It was twenty-four fifty. dollars They matched that. That's right. They, on a Friends Fly mm-hmm. Free basis. Mm-hmm. Okay. We went to $19 <laughs> between BWI and Cleveland. <laughs> so that's a pretty big saving. You know. $19 <laughs> instead of $349. Mm-hmm. And the traffic increased by 1,500% mm-hmm. in the first year of service.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> that's an exaggeration. But mm-hmm. most markets we went into... <laughs> uh, incre-
3: Popularity of flight.
4: Increased enormously. Mm-hmm. Enormously. I'm talking 100%, 200%, 300% mm.
3: within a year. Mm. So presumably, some of the ways that you hold those costs down for, for passengers is efficiency, right? hard work yes. of everyone who's coming to work. Exactly. Uh, probably um, not the highest salaries In in the in the industry, I don't know whether that's true or not. You can tell me. But how how can you have cost containment and balance sheet management and a great corporate culture? I mean, those 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 things we see that we think there's a big tension there. And why isn't there? You know what?
4: A friend of mine uh, uh, recently wrote a paper that he sent to me, and and uh, uh, in it he said uh, corporations are always succumbing. To the tyranny of no, rather than the genius of yes. Mm. And what he was pointing out is that people sit down and say, well, we can either have low costs Mm. and lousy customer service
3: Mm. or great
4: customer service and high costs. Mm. And we said, no. You can have low costs and great customer service, and guess what? We're not offering you less for less fare. We're offering you more for less fare. Mm -hmm. And part of that, of course, was our culture. Mm -hmm. First of all, the warrior spirit of our employees who pitched in in every battle. Secondly, the fun and warmth and hospitality uh, that our people provided uh, to our passengers. Mm -hmm. And uh, thirdly, the kind of culture that was upbeat. We didn't ask people to change and become robots or automatons when they came to work. We kept telling them, "Look, we hired you because
3: you're you." Did anyone take that too far?
4: Well, what happened?
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm me, Herb. Yeah, I'm not going to wear clothes to work today. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that, You you put your
4: finger on it. Per <laughs> usual, when we had somebody who did something extraordinary, we didn't put in new rules pertaining to the whole company or one of its departments. We just sat down with them individually Mm -hmm. and talked to them and said, you cannot do that. Mm -hmm. But you know, if every time there's a sort of anecdotal incident-
3: A new new policy comes in You put in a new
4: policy, you're gradually strangling yourself Mm -hmm. uh, with bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, when I saw a ticket agent in San Antonio after I became CEO, trying to answer a customer's question by going through these two loose leaf manuals, you know, looking for page 73, uh, uh, capital A, you know, small I, you know. We burn them. Mm -hmm. We burn them. And what we said was, we have a substitute, it's called guidelines for leaders. And the first sentence was, these are just guidelines, feel free to break them. Mm -hmm. We were unleashing our people. To be themselves with the customer Mm -hmm. and colleen barrett of course played a great role in that and she called it her flexibility policy and basically she was saying look you know we work like crazy to hire the right people with the right attitudes positive you know Mm -hmm. generous caring yeah Mm -hmm. and so
0: just unleash them Mm Coming up, Herb Kelleher reflects on the principles of leadership. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Let's get back to Tom Gardner's interview with the late, great Herb Kelleher.
3: If you had, let's say, two or three leadership principles, if you had to boil them down to two or three, maybe you've just sort of touched on one of them, but I hate to just try and get a little... Soundbite, but what would be your top two or three principles as a leader?
4: I would say that uh, number one, uh, you have to look out for the well being of others more than you do for your own. Uh, number two, that you have to really rejoice in your people and their accomplishments and praise them and recognize them all the time uh, for what they what they have achieved. Mm. And uh, be humble, I think. Be humble. Never think you've done something so great, you know, that now you're at the top of the pyramid because mm. that's when the pyramid starts to collapse and you slide down on your mm. face, you know, <laughs> and never be complacent. Mm.
3: How about two or three principles of business strategy that might apply more broadly than just the airline industry for an entrepreneur or a CEO that's looking at their game plan yes. and that maybe is overlooked the responsibility of having a strong balance sheet so that you can be resilient in a down period or yeah. so maybe two or three strategic principles.
4: Well, first of all, uh, if one of your principles is that you're not going to furlough. That in and of itself is an incentive to stay lean, mm-hmm. even when times are mm-hmm. are really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a discipline and a mm-hmm. valuable one, I think. Uh, number two, particularly with respect to young entrepreneurs, including myself, they're optimists, Tom. And I think and that optimism is needed, mm-hmm. you know, to be an entrepreneur. You're one. Mm-hmm. I ought to be interviewing you. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Sometimes you, you, you don't realize how long it's going to take and how much capital it's going to take to mm. bring it to realization. Mm. And so you don't raise enough money mm. at the beginning. Mm. And sometimes with the young people, I have found representing young people who want to start up their own businesses, I found that uh, they think that just having the idea is all they have to do, and I keep telling them, no, there's a lot of sweat that goes into it. Mm -hmm. You know, you just don't announce your idea and suddenly golden coins start raining down Mm -hmm. from heaven like a manna on you, Mm -hmm. and there's a hell of a lot of lonely work to Mm -hmm. do to make it come to pass Mm -hmm. and and to be successful. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I have always emphasized is culture, because I think that is the most powerful competitive weapon that you can have because it's intangible. Mm. It's spiritual. You can't buy it. You know, Mm. other airlines can buy airplanes. Mm. They can lease space. Uh, But if they don't have the kind of outgoing, participative, happy, devoted uh, culture that you have, uh, you're gonna have the edge Mm. on them. I was told our people that the intangibles are more important than the tangibles.
3: Is there a single story that comes to you right now and maybe not across all of Southwest history about the the employee or teammate of yours at Southwest Airlines that did something remarkable for oh. somebody else on their team or for one of yeah. the passengers or
4: Well, I'll tell you what. I've got several stories that just jumped into my mind. There are thousands of them. But uh these will serve as uh you know, exemplars uh with respect to what you asked. And one of them is that uh A lady had a flat tire in the parking lot at a terminal, air terminal, and our station manager stops and says, let me change that tire for you. And she said, well, I don't think you should because, you know, I didn't fly on Southwest Airlines. He said, that doesn't make any difference. I just want to help you change your tire, no matter who you flew on uh... and we honor people for the great things they do outside southwest airlines not just inside The mm-hmm. great things they do in society in general
3: last question talked about uh... being a founder so and the amount of number of hours of sleep you've got on average mm-hmm. um, the decades that you have put into it i know that you don't really have probably any regrets but why don't you you've given so much of your life to one organization uh... do you have any sense of gosh i wonder if i if I'd taken five years and gone and done that, my life might have had this. So uh, how do you view your commitment to a single ship that I you've have, been sailing on for 50 I have years? no
4: regrets whatsoever, mm-hmm. uh, because if a father has a daughter or a son, I believe that father is going to commit himself to a single ship mm-hmm. for as long as that ship is afloat. Mm-hmm. And so I've always said, you know, I'm so fortunate because My avocation is simultaneously my vocation. So there's no challenge, there's no tension, there's no hostility between the two. I'm doing what I love to do for a company I love and help to create and for people that I adore. And what could be more rewarding, more enjoyable than that? I refer to our people as my fountain of youth. I said, you know, Ponce de Leon was in the wrong place looking for the fountain of youth in Florida. He should have come to work for Southwest Airlines. (laughs) That's where you find... Your fountain of youth from our people.
0: You can watch Tom's entire interview with Herb Kelleher on the Motley Fool's channel on YouTube. Just go to youtubecom slash Fool. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Shows engineered by Dan Boyd and Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.